Good morning. Good morning. My name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor here at Courtright, and I want to add my word of welcome to what Alyssa said at the beginning of the service. We hope that you, if you're new especially, will feel comfortable among us and get to know us, start to make a home here if that's what you're looking for. This morning, we begin a journey that will lead us to Jerusalem. It's going to lead to Holy Week, to Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. And this is the season of Lent. And during Lent, we follow Jesus to the cross. So we spent the last three weeks reflecting on our new mission statement. And now, effectively, we're returning to the first part of that statement. Do you remember what that was? Anyone? Well done. I'm impressed. Well done. Rooted in Jesus was the first part of that statement, and there's the rest of it if you need a memory jog. So we follow Jesus, who is described in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows, a man acquainted with grief. And so in a way, we are rooted in sorrow and in grief with him, he who still bears the scars of his sacrifice. But do we consider our sadness to be part of a truly legitimate Christian life, I wonder? Or do we assume that we should rather simply trust and obey and that that is how we find happiness in Jesus? And so if we're not happy, if you're not happy today in your life, then something must be wrong with you, with us. But Jesus bids us come as we are. And he has given us a way a particular way to deal with life's suffering and grief. And that is the way of lament. And I think Lent and lament are inextricably tied together. And so this morning, we are going to begin this journey that will lead us to Good Friday and Easter by looking at a psalm of lament, Psalm 142. The dictionary defines lament as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. I think Christians have a reputation in our culture, and it's not for lament. For some, we are shiny, happy people with fake smiles on our faces. You can think of Ned Flanders from the great cultural classic, The Simpsons. Apparently, Ned is the most famous evangelical Christian in North America. Always cheerful and nice, known for catchphrases like Oakley Dokley. Ned's character was created to be, and I quote from Wikipedia, so cloyingly perfect as to annoy and shame the Simpsons family in all their dysfunctionality. But that stereotype of believers does not hold up against scripture. The Bible is packed full of broken people whose lives are a complete mess. Roughly two-thirds of the 150 psalms in the book of Psalms are psalms of lament. Two-thirds of the psalms. And so lament is the biblical God-given way for us to deal with life's suffering and grief. God has not left us without resources. And the mere presence of so many psalms of lament makes it clear that we are not called to deny our sorrow or to pretend that everything is okay or to say dumb things like, God has a plan when other people are suffering. Amen. <laughs> the most meaningful service, worship service I was a part of in 2022 was our longest night service on December 22nd. There were only about 30 of us gathered in this room. It was 
a beautiful moment, a quiet admission that the world is full of sadness, and so are we, and God is with us in it. Early in the pandemic, Tom Wright, the great English New Testament scholar, wrote something in Time magazine that I just loved. He said, it is no part of the Christian vocation then to be able to explain what is happening and why. In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the Spirit laments with us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. Before we open our Bibles, let's pray for more of that. Holy Spirit, would you come among us today and lead us into all truth? Wrestle with us in our sorrows and convince us that we are more loved by the Father than we could ever have imagined. We ask for more of your presence and more of your healing power in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A number of years ago, I was sitting at my desk here in the church building when the phone rang. It was a man who abruptly, without any introduction, asked me to pray for him. At no point did he give me his name. He simply told me that he was completely alone, that he had no friends, that they had all abandoned him, that they had betrayed him even, and that no one cared for him. He said he had nothing to live for. So I prayed for him, and when I finished, I heard him weeping over the phone. I asked him, do you believe that God is with you? There was a moment of silence, and then he said, I'm not sure, and he hung up. I can tell you it was hard to go back to my email after that. When someone pours out their heart to you, when you hear the intensity of someone's hurt and suffering, it's powerful. It stops you. We don't usually get that honest with each other. Maybe you've never gone through something like a dark night of the soul, but we have all known sadness, even great sadness. As the old African-American spiritual puts it, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. And it's true. We feel alone in our grief, in our pain. 
Not even the closest friend can meet us there. And you can get lost in that darkness. Maybe that's why psalms of lament have such a careful structure to them. They can help us find our way back, find a way through the long night. And we're going to follow that structure this morning as we see that lament is the biblical God-given way for us to deal with life's suffering and grief. Lament begins with an address to God. He wants us to be honest with him, to let him know directly when we're in trouble. Second, a lament poses a problem. It presents the issue. Here in Psalm 142, it's David's conflict with King Saul and his isolation. Finally, a psalm of lament points the way to deliverance with a request and the expression of trust. In that final section, we're reminded of who God is and that we don't need to be alone. So you have the address, the problem, and the deliverance. This psalm starts on a personal note. I cry aloud to the Lord. No, t- no small talk, no preamble, no explanation. It's just me and my voice. I lift up my voice to the Lord, crying for mercy. And the emphasis here is on speaking, speaking out loud. That's not always easy for us to do, is it? We'd much rather, I think, deny that we're in trouble. Even when we're in severe difficulty, we may not turn to God. We keep it inside of us, and we go through the motions because that's safer. Or maybe we refuse to pray because we're angry at God or we've grown cynical. There may have been a long period of silence even before this psalm began. But the first step back to life is always to speak to God, no matter what we have to say. The psalms give us a voice when we've been silent for a long time. And once we've decided to say something to God, the next question is, are we going to be honest? I pour out my complaint says the psalmist, before God, I tell him my trouble. Can you share your pain with God? Is that something that you have much experience of doing? I think a lot of us come to God with a list of things to ask for, people to pray for, intercessions. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think part of why we struggle to express our deep pain to God is because we assume, perhaps at times, that all God wants to hear from us is praise, that the only acceptable way to come to him is through trust and obedience. If that's the case for you, you need to learn the language of lament. Let me say it again. Lament is the biblical God-given way for us to deal with life's suffering and grief. The world's way is through distraction and denial, by pretending we're okay and escaping from our suffering however we can manage to do that. And the church sometimes, I think, borrows from the world. The church may be in denial itself. It can be really hard to find music 
in our hymnody, in our collections of songs, it can be hard to find music that expresses lament. We want upbeat music. We want catchy music. We want music that makes our hearts swell. We want the joy and the victory of the Christian life. Except we aren't always joyful or victorious ourselves. Walter Brueggemann says, as Christians, we seek to go from strength to strength, from victory to victory, but such a way not only ignores the Psalms, it is a lie in terms of our experience also. Much Christian piety and spirituality is romantic and unreal in its positiveness. And so we come back to being rooted in Jesus. Jesus, who was a man of sorrow, a man acquainted with grief, he wept with those who mourned, and he still weeps with us today. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen except Jesus. So the address comes first. Next, we have to get into the problem. And this isn't easy to do. All of us have sadness and heartache in our lives, but we do not want to talk about it. Imagine with me that you're having coffee after the service. What's the right answer? What's the only acceptable answer when someone asks you the question, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. It's such a bizarre ritual we go through. We greet people by asking a question we don't really want them to answer truthfully. <laughs> Do you know what this little word fine means? I had to look it up. It describes something of high quality. Some synonyms are excellent, great, exceptional, outstanding, superior, splendid, magnificent, beautiful, exquisite, choice, select, prime, supreme, superb, wonderful, sublime. <laughs> You still fine? <laughs> I kind of doubt it. Did I just ruin coffee time for you? <laughs> Actually, half the time, people don't even bother to answer. How are you becomes the equivalent of hello. There was a guy at my old church in Toronto who would ask people that question, how are you doing? And then when you said fine or good, he'd get this intense look on his face and he'd lean right in and he'd say, no, really, how are you doing? <laughs> it was the most annoying thing. I wonder if he's still there. I guess I'm going to find out. Most people are just trying to be polite when they ask you, how are you doing? They do not want to hear about your problems they don't actually want to know how you're doing. But God does. Always. And that's why we've got these psalms of lament. So David does not hold back here. In verses 3 to 6, we learn that he's facing two big problems, his enemies and his isolation. King Saul wanted to kill David, and so he sent his soldiers to hunt him down. They have hidden a snare for me he says. And you can read about that story in 1 Samuel chapter 22, which begins with David having escaped to a cave. And we didn't get it in the version of the psalm that appear on the screens that we read this morning, but 
If you look on your phone or in your Bible at this psalm, you will see that the introduction to the psalm before verse 1 refers to a cave. And that metaphor of the cave is something we're going to work with this morning. But back to David's enemies. I don't think most of us have enemies like that. Or maybe we just rather think that we don't. For us, it's easier, maybe it's truer, to say that our enemies are our emotions or perhaps a lack of emotion. Maybe it's anxiety or depression or, or pride. You are your own worst enemy. You've heard that before. We also face conflict in relationships, in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, with someone in your life who is holding you back or holding you down. Some of us do have real live enemies, people who have actively tried to hurt us or even destroy us. And then there's the enemy of our souls. The devil whispers his lies to us that God is not good or not real, that we are not loved, that we are even unlovable, and that we deserve to be alone. The enemy, the ultimate enemy, says God does not love you and you don't need him. Whatever the case, however we conceive of enemies in our lives, the trouble leads to isolation. No one at my right hand, no one who's concerned for me, no friend who offers refuge, no one who cares for me. But we know that God designed us for relationship and for community. And when we are in that cave, when we feel abandoned and rejected, we are the farthest from what God wants for us. Still, the cave can teach us like nothing else can. For one thing, the cave reminds us to read all of Scripture, all of the Psalms, not just the parts we like. If a psalm of lament doesn't seem like the pick-me-up you need for your devotions on any given morning, maybe that is by design. The point of praying the psalms or singing the Psalter, as Christians have for thousands of years, is to encourage you to find your place among the righteous who gather about the author of this psalm in its final verse. A psalm of lament draws you into the full and true congregation of all the saints, all who came before and all around the world today. Maybe you can't relate to being in prison. Well, that makes me think of Ryan Coher. Do you recall a few weeks ago when Lindsay preached and she introduced us to this MAF pilot in prison in Mozambique? Maybe you don't have enemies coming after you, but we had a young couple from Iran join us during the pandemic before they moved to another city. They told us stories of persecution, real persecution. Their families had enemies like we cannot imagine. You may be totally healthy this morning, but what about the lament from that person getting a cancer diagnosis? The Psalms of lament can fire up your prayerful imagination and lead into greater love of our neighbors, a fuller experience of the kind of community God wants for us.
Lament is not only for those who are suffering. It leads into solidarity with the sorrowful. What's the third part of our new mission statement? That was just last week, everyone. Anyone remember? Well done. Becoming trusted neighbors. We build trust with our neighbors when we're honest with them in our weakness. We saw that last week as Justin preached on John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman to whom Jesus expressed his need. His whole conversation and relationship with her began with his honesty about his weakness. He needed water. We become more trusted when we let people in on our sorrow and our lament. So lament may lead outward, but it always begins within us. It's private and personal. Of course, we would prefer to live constantly in the sunshine of God's blessings, but sometimes we get the cave instead. You can think of the stories in Scripture about this. Joseph was wrongly accused and spent two years in jail. Moses wandered in the wilderness with his people for 40 years. They threw Daniel into a den with lions. Paul was forever getting arrested and ending up in prison. As all of them found, and many of you have too, the cave is a place of darkness and death. It's also where you die to yourself. The cave is a place of testing. And if you're willing to face the truth about yourself, the cave will reveal just how much work God still has to do to get you ready for great things. The cave humbles us so that we can echo the words of John the Baptist. I must decrease and Jesus must increase. The cave is a place of separation too. Not only does God show you who you are in the cave, but he also strips away every misplaced dependency that you've developed. Where are you looking for meaning? What are you leaning on that isn't worth it, that will not stand the test? God put David in that cave to separate him from everything he had once depended on, from the person he thought he was apart from the truth of who he could be with God. At that point, all that was left for David was the Lord, and he found him. The cave may have been the most frustrating point in David's life. After all, he was God's anointed he had been chosen to be king. What the heck was going on? What was he doing in that cave? But as he later realized, it turned out to be one of the most fruitful, important moments in him understanding his purpose, who he was, receiving God's true blessing, not an imagined blessing. And it's right into that moment of emptiness and despair, as expressed by David in this psalm, that God shows up. The final section of Psalm 142 is the deliverance. It comes through a request and a final expression of trust. Already, back in verse 3, there was the recognition that God watched over his way. 
But the real turning point comes in verse 5, where we read, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Now, it may be a small portion, a tiny glimpse of light breaking through the darkness, but it leads to life. It leads away from death. Next, we see there's a request for rescue and freedom. He's still in desperate need, but he wants out. And there are three realities here that David has not lost sight of. First of all, that God is real. God is the only ultimate refuge, the only true source of life. And then there's the truth about himself, that he is weak, that he is trapped in a kind of prison. And he can't get out of it on his own. He needs help. Finally, he expresses a trust that he is not alone or that he won't always be alone, that the righteous will gather around him. Who are the righteous? Good people. People chosen by God to help him, to love him, to challenge him. When we're honest with ourselves, we can relate to that feeling of being trapped and longing for freedom. What is your prison today? Is it brokenness in your family, in your marriage? Maybe it's the prison of compulsive behavior around gambling, alcohol, food, or sex. Some of us are trapped in a cycle of bitterness and anger because of a hurt in our past or a disappointment that we are dealing with now, maybe have been for a very long time. Your prison may be your refusal to admit that you're wrong, to show weakness to those who are closest to you, to let other people in. You may feel completely alone in what you have gone through or what you're going through. And perhaps you've simply gotten used to that. But God is listening always. And he wants to lead you out of that place, out of despair and into freedom. And then he's going to ask you to help someone else. Sometimes these two things go right together. I remember at one of the lowest times in my life, My mother encouraged me to get out and serve in some way. She was pretty direct about it. I think she said, get up off your, and you can fill in the blanks. I thought she was delusional. I said, what? I'm not, I don't have the capacity for that right now. Have you not been listening to me? But she was exactly right. She basically said, stop feeling sorry for yourself Get out of the cave you're in, the cave of self-preoccupation. And while you might find that the righteous are ready to gather around you, they're not as far away as you think. If you're in that place of darkness right now, you can follow the light and you can follow Jesus by coming alongside someone in distress to listen and to love them. I think God gives us the experience of suffering partly so we can relate to the trouble people are going through 
and be better equipped to bring them out of their own place of darkness. We talk about being the missional church. We talk about evangelism. The best possible way to share the love of God is with someone who feels alone and unloved. It won't be easy. It will require a long-term commitment. And I invite you, if there's someone in your life who you've walked with and you're tempted to abandon, you're just fed up with them, or someone who you've left behind, maybe during the pandemic, could it be that the Holy Spirit today would be using this service, this moment, to bring them to mind, to confirm in you that impulse you've had and kind of denied, pushed down, to reach out to them, to call them, to get back in touch? I had a friend, really good friend for 20 years, and uh, I found out about a year ago that he died of a brain tumor. And uh, I found out from his wife that he was watching our services online. And he didn't let me know that he was in this place. And uh, I never got to talk to him. Don't let that happen to you. Every single one of us here today has somebody like that who, why, because of Netflix, why have we not taken the time? That's just my encouragement to you to reach out to that person in your life. As Christians, we're called to be experts in lament not in health, wealth, and prosperity. If we follow Jesus, and we do, we have to take his last words from the cross seriously. In Matthew 27, as he is being crucified, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right there, he's quoting from Psalm 22, another psalm of lament. As Jesus takes on himself the sins of the world, God turns away from him. Jesus drinks the cup of God's judgment, the cup he begged to be spared from in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes on to himself the weight of all the injustice and evil and sin in history, and he is cut off from the source of life and light and goodness, abandoned by God. But Jesus goes to that God-forsaken place with a purpose. He goes there so we don't have to end up there. He becomes lost so that we can be found by God. Jesus loved us so much that he entered into our suffering. He who was God and without sin became God-forsaken so that you and I could be forgiven. Jesus became a man of sorrows to lead you through your sorrow into hope again, so that you could pass from lament into thanksgiving. I learned this week that Psalm 22 was famous in the first century for other reasons than Jesus quoting from it at the cross. That poignant opening verse was the prayer that Jewish martyrs would utter when they were going to their death. And with the Roman occupation of their land, there were many martyrs. 
And so, yes, Jesus, I think, is first of all speaking to his Father in heaven from the cross when he says that, but he's also expressing solidarity with thousands of men and women who died in despair. As the psalm puts it in verse 7, our psalm, Psalm 142, all of this leads into the praise of God. We read, then the righteous will gather about you because of his goodness to you. Jesus leads us on the way of lament and points us back into life-giving relationships and the kind of community he created us to enjoy. But lament is not the end. Lament is a prayer for the time being. Most psalms of lament conclude with a commitment to praise, and we've seen that here. They end with a promise to give thanks to the Lord for his deliverance. Jesus is risen from the dead, so we know that this story does not end in sorrow. Then the righteous will gather around me and around you. And at the center of it all will be Jesus, who will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city of God, the new Jerusalem, and we will serve him. We will see his face. There will be no more night. We will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun even, for the Lord God will give us his light, and we will reign. forever and ever. So nobody knows the troubles you've seen. Nobody knows your sorrow. Nobody knows you like Jesus, and he is with you. For now, we lift our lament to God as we wait with hope. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Dear God, as we reflect on the sadness of the world, the sadness in our own lives, at times it feels too much. But we find in your word, we find in Jesus, your living word, hope like no other hope. Would you fill us with confidence in your promises? Would we rest and stand on nothing other than who you are and who you will be for us? We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join with me in the prayers of the people, which is our opportunity.